Hey everybody, Matt Hardman here with another episode of the Race Nerd Podcast here on CKCC Radio. Thank you for tuning in and continuing to enjoy our plethora of programming that CKCC Radio provides you each and every week. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Um, a lot after the fallout of Bristol, the LA Coliseum news, um, and so much more. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, I I do have to uh, before we get any further. I do have to apologize uh, to um, to all you listeners, as I kind of forgot last week's episode. Um, it was a it was a double episode. It was taking care of both Darlington and Richmond and. Um, and it was the obviously the twentieth anniversary nine eleven, which was a little hard to really talk about. Um, that and actually that had been an idea for a patron episode, um, the twenty years. Uh, you know, a look back at two thousand and one. Obviously, you know we've had that year. We had the passing of Dale Earnhardt Senior. Then nine eleven. Uh, all within one calendar year. But I chose not to do that um, because of the emotions involved. It's a highly emotional topic uh, for a lot of people. And I did not do that. But uh, I did that. I did last the last episode on both Richmond and Darlington. Had it all recorded, and I thought I hit the send button to send to Chris O'Mealy for uh, posting, and um, it was still setting, sitting in my pending box. Uh, so I had resent it um, just this morning, and hopefully Chris will um, be able to post that for you uh, as soon as he can. Uh, he is a very busy man, so... Please be patient with that. Um, don't send any hate Chris's way. Send it my way. It was my error. So, um, anyway, we do have a trivia question. Let me just bring it up. Um, bear with me on this, because I was kind of ill-prepared. I had actually recorded uh, an, an episode yesterday, but I did not like the sound quality of it. So, I I apologize for that as well. I'm apologizing for a lot of stuff <laughs> in this episode. So this is like uh, a, a, uh, a very, very unique episode. But um, while I find the trivia question, let's, let's talk about um, the news of the L.A. Coliseum. Um, in 2022, uh, next year will mark the first time that the Bush Clash will be held, um, the preseason opening race, uh, anywhere other than Daytona. Now, NASCAR used to hold a points race at Riverside Speedway, um, up until the mid-80s when Riverside would shut down. Uh, they would hold, I believe it was called the LA, uh, the Winston Western 500. 
out there and it was always the precursor to Daytona but ever since then Daytona has been what kicks off the season and uh, they would also have the Bush Clash. Well NASCAR in um, an announced move will be running at the LA Coliseum yes the same Coliseum where the LA Raiders and the Rams used to play the 1984 Summer Olympics um, the USC Trojans play their um, their college football games there. Uh, it's it's a big deal, and um, NASCAR had been trying to get in that market. I know there was no race at Fontana this year due to COVID, nor last year. Uh, so trying to get back into that Southern California market, and and I've heard a lot of yay or nay on this. Um, a lot of NASCAR fans are up in arms, you know, taking taking it away from Daytona. Um, some saying that, you know, while we're trying to cut, um, costs everywhere across the board for NASCAR teams and all, bringing them out to California for a non-points race is, uh, is a little ridiculous. Um, but it's invitation only, and most of these teams, uh, have that kind of money. Um, my thought is they are doing something outside the box. They've been doing something outside the box, um, in this uh, post-pandemic world, uh, that sometimes have been great, um, sometimes have fell flat, uh, you know, and some things in between. I think Nashville, um, moving to the Nashville Super Speedway was a great move. Um, Circuit of the Americas, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, in 2022, I think its inaugural run kind of sucked. Uh, I thought the dirt race at Bristol was kind of lackluster, especially with what we would see um, back on the asphalt, um, back on the paved track, I should say, because Bristol isn't all asphalt. But um, anyway, uh, I, th I think that this is a very unique move, and I'm perfectly okay for it. Uh, and uh, I think that... Um, you, uh, that, uh, sorry, I, I was just looking at a trivia question, I, and I was going to post it, but I, I, I was actually going to, uh, ask it, but I realized it was actually kind of horseshit. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, who, you know, this was kind of one of those things, um, and, uh, I really thought and thought and thought, and I'm like, this can be a really big boon, you know, we've seen, uh, NASCAR has previously competed at, um, Soldier Field in Chicago in the 50s, you know, they've competed at a lot of different places, Bowman Gray is a very popular modified and um, NASCAR sanctioned track in North Carolina, and that's basically built on a football field. They call that the Madhouse. Um, you know, and there's, there was a whole show about racing at the Madhouse, um, a reality show, and um, I, I think that this could be really big. And let's not forget the Tennessee Volunteers, and I believe it was Virginia Tech one year, um, played a football game. Uh, it was a home game for Tennessee uh, at Bristol Motor Speedway. And they had the stands packed. And um, I, I think this would be 
just as big as a as a Bristol event. I think this would really get the foot back in the door in that Southern California area. I know they would not give it up on that. Um, hopefully, I haven't seen any um, any progress so far on uh, Auto Club Speedway uh, turning that into a short track. Uh, remember that was. They're basically converting that from a two-mile oval into a three-quarter Richmond-type oval. Um, they're, they're trying to generate some excitement. And I'm, I'm actually very intrigued with that. Uh, more intrigued now, especially with this announcement at the Coliseum. Granted, I don't ever see the Coliseum being a permanent thing. Um, maybe for the Bush Clash, but that's about it. Um... And if I remember right, uh, when they held the X Games in California, I believe that was the um, the original. They had the they did the um, the rally cross events there. Uh, so I think that I think that the idea is there, and it and it had been announced that this wasn't a knee-jerk decision, that this had been the planning for a couple of years, um, moving it out to Cali and to the Coliseum. So I'm actually, I'm intrigued. I'm not put off by it. I, I Granted, I don't like the idea of moving it away from Daytona, especially with all the teams that are going to be down there at that point, and bringing a separate car out west, but one, as I said, this is an invitational tournament, uh, usually held for poll winners, but obviously, you know, with this, um, bullshit metric that we have, uh, for, um, for deciding starting positions, um, you know, since the, the whole pandemic started, I think that, um, opening this up to all the teams is, is, is a very unique proposition um i'm kind of i'm digging it and uh we'll see what happens with it uh but in the meantime i did find a pop quiznos it's not the one i was going to use because i did not like the one that i was going to use um that is which nascar crew chief holds the record for the most championships as a crew chief um, answer at the end of the show. Um, but we will, we will move on because obviously we got to talk about what everybody's talking about and that is Bristol. Um, we had three races at Bristol. Uh, we had a Thursday night, uh, event, uh, for the trucks. We had a Friday night event, uh, for the Xfinity series and a Saturday night event. And um, for speaking as, as someone who's been to Bristol, uh, I've seen how insane these races get. And um, I really think that this is probably one of the best weekends at Bristol. Uh, in the eyes of NASCAR, um, you had three exciting finishes. You had... Chandler Smith, who was battling to advance into the next round of the Truck Series playoffs, um, pick up his first win of the season and his first career win in the trucks, uh, beating out Sheldon Creed on a 
late restart with only a handful of laps to go, um, breaking Creed's streak of two in a row. Uh, so mad props to that. And like I said, this is a this was an elimination race, which saw uh, Todd Gilliland and Tyler Ankrum go home. Um, then we would move on to Friday night, which would see um, the Xfinity Series race uh, with their final regular season race of the season, which would see A.J. Allmendinger and his championship rival Austin Sindrick spin at the start-finish line. Almondinger picks up the win. Uh, Sindrick obviously finishing second. In uh, a giant melee coming to the checkered flag, uh, Almondinger picks up the regular season title, edging out Sindrick in what has been a Cinderella season. Bear with me just one. Uh, and, uh, this is what's really crazy is the fact that, uh, who, uh, not Cindric, Almendinger, who has not had a full-time ride in a couple of years, been doing a lot of part-time stuff, uh, obviously, uh, you know, this is, you know, he picks up another win with the regular season championship, and remember, he picked up the, uh, the win at the Indy Road Course on the Cup Series. So this has been a resurgence of a driver who was once tabbed um, for the inaugural season of the Red Bull team uh, with Toyota when they came into the sport in 2007 and then unceremoniously dumped at the end of the 2007 season for Scott Speed, would find himself bouncing around, would eventually find a ride with um, with. Roger Penske in the 22 car uh, that had been vacated by Kyle Busch at the, or Kurt Busch at the end of the 2011 season. And um, he would, uh, he would find himself, you know, really floundering um, both before and after that, uh, losing his ride with Penske um, on the cup side due to a failed drug test for Adderall, uh, which had been given to him during the Daytona race. Uh, he would lose that seat. Um, you know, Sam Hornish Jr., another IndyCar standout, would fill in for the rest of the season, and eventually Joey Logano would get that seat. And Logano's done pretty good, you know, a... Uh, a Cup Series title and a Daytona 500 win and a competitor each and every week. Um, but Penske never gave up on him. Would uh, would move Almendinger to run some of his IndyCar races in a part-time season to finish out uh, 2012. And eventually Almendinger would find his way back up to the Cup Series. Uh, driving for JTG Doherty Racing, the, the team co-owned by... NASCAR analyst and former NBA star Brad Doherty, uh, you know, he would, uh, he would find hit or miss success, you know, picking up the team's only win 
at Watkins Glen in 2014 before being replaced by um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. due to um, a lack of performance, I guess. Um, he was getting constantly beaten out by his teammates, uh, you know, Ryan Priest and... Um, and Chris Busher. Actually, I apologize because it was um, Ryan Priest who would replace Almendinger, not um, Ricky Stenhouse. Stenhouse would rep eventually replace Busher um, with the team. And um, so we would see, um, you know, Almendinger, as I said, his, his rise to prominence. So it was Great to see that in a finish, which I'm sure will be shown in the highlight reels just as much as the 1995 and the 1999 battles to the finish with Terry Labonte and the late Dale Earnhardt. Um, both of those highlight reel films, not just for Bristol, but for NASCAR in general. Um, and uh, then we get to Saturday. And this is where all the talk about Bristol really comes up. In a race that overshadowed the elimination of four drivers from the playoffs, in a race that overshadowed Kyle Larson picking up his sixth win of the season, what everybody's talking about is the brouhaha between Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick, um, which ultimately led to Larson picking up the win. Okay, um, to talk about this, I'm going to have to do this from two different points of view. So I'm going to have to do this from an objective point of view, um, taking out personal biases, then I will put in my personal biases. Um, this whole situation between NASCAR's favorite driver, when I say NASCAR, I mean um, Chase Nation, and, um, you know, Kevin Harvick started on lap 473. Um, Harvick was leading. Elliott was um, charging for the lead. They made some contact. And eventually it would lead to Elliott having a cut tire. Um, Elliott would lose three laps in the pits. And um, on a short track like this, it's pretty hard to gain um, laps like that back, uh, especially when the short amount of time, uh, as this happened with less than 30 laps to go, um, Elliot would um, show his displeasure to Harvick uh, on the caution laps after a, a totally different caution situation then Elliot's tire would uh, bang on his bumper, um, while while the while the drivers were going around the track. Um, with five laps to go, Harvick, who had reassumed the lead, uh, was getting out with a fast charging uh, Kyle Larson and a even faster charging. William Byron, who at that point was racing for his playoff life, um, Elliot would seem to take away the line, um, the way around the track that 
uh, Harvick was going. Well, which would slow Harvick down, uh, lead to Larson passing him. Um, Larson and Harvick did bump getting Larson momentarily out of shape, uh, him saving it and pulling away for the win. Uh, afterwards, there were fireworks on Pitt Road as Elliot and Harvick would have words. Um, there was a little bit of shoving and finger pointing going on. Eventually, they would have words later on in the garage area um, between the two of them that was caught on film. And uh, NAS, uh, the NASCAR community, the... NASCAR's version of the IWC has just been up in arms over this. It's been all over social media. It's been on, you know, many NASCAR programs. You know, I'm sure SportsCenter and all that shit covered it. Um, but my take on all this, okay, in an objective point of view, I think had this been two other drivers... Um, Let's say a Eric Amarola and a um, Christopher Bell. This would this would not generate generate as much uh, venom as this has. Uh, but where you have a driver who is as popular as Chase Elliott and a driver who is, I don't want to say old school, but I mean, almost as old school as a Kevin Harvick. Um, so remember, Kevin's one of the few drivers that have raced, you know, for longer than 20 seasons in, in the top series still left on the circuit. There's only three of them that have actually hit that 20-year mark. Um, so, um, with that, you you know, you're... you're talking a little bit of the old guard and a little bit of the new guard, and um, both of them, you know, it, this... They, they both have their fan bases, very divisive fan bases, um, might I add. Um, and uh, a lot of... The community came out to support uh, Chase Elliott. There were some that, um, you know, were Harvick. And, you know, there were some that were just, it is what it is. Um, but from an objective point of view, the incident that happened on lap 473 was Elliott got a run. Harvick is leading. Um, Harvick had stated that his car would get loose. Um as as the race went on, um, especially when another car was on, you know, around him, it would disrupt the air around the car. Well, it would disrupt the air eventually riding, quote unquote, riding Chase up into the wall. Um, you know, I viewed that as a racing incident, especially when you listen to the audio um, from the scanners. Uh, he ran... He didn't run Chase up to the wall. He just lost his car. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a racing incident. I didn't have a problem with the, um, with the, um, the, um, 
the incident after that where Elliot would get into the bumper of him. That's just short track racing. Um, but I think had this been any of the drivers, this would be an afterthought. You know, a little bit of bumping and banging, maybe like a little blurb on XM. Um, but the incident in question that really did this was how Elliot was running faster times than the leaders at that point with four fresh tires. Um, kind of, kind of waiting in the weeds for Harvick to come up on him and, uh, not taking away his line and kind of disrupting the flow of the air and the traffic around him, um, eventually leading to Larson getting up and passing Harvick. Um, like I said, this, this, this I think is a no-no, especially if... The person trying to pass him is your teammate. Uh, we, we've seen this play out before. We've seen this play out with um, Ryan Newman and Matt DiBettadetto and um, Denny Hamlin a few years ago at Bristol where Newman, who is known to be hard to pass, um, even when he's laps down, um, you know, kind of make the leader work for it. Um, held up Di Benedetto and which allowed Hamlin to sneak past. Um, this was kind of the same way, except the fact that Elliot was kind of paying back Harvick a little bit, um, at least in my opinion. And um, when it's your teammate, it's kind of a little strange. Um, but to to be fair, like I said, I am unobjective 100% because I am a Harvick fan. Um, and what had happened after the race, saying how this Harvick does this all the time, Harvick tries to cut his tire, take him out, um, and Elliot's going to need to stand up for himself, which would have been fine with the bumper. You don't hold up the leader um, as they're trying to make, they're trying to make this. And this has monumental complications. Because as I said, this is a elimination race. While Kevin Harvick had the points to advance to the next round, um, the insane part about all this is had something, had Elliot retaliated, taken out Harvick, it would have eliminated him um, from advancing to the round of 12. It didn't. Had Harvick won, he would have advanced to the round of 12 and found himself on on the uh, above the cut line for the next round. The next round, which I believe Elliot, you know, favors Elliot. You have um, Las Vegas next. You have Talladega. Then you have the Roval. And Chase Elliott's been very strong at road courses. Hendrick Power's been very strong at super speedways. Um, then you have Las Vegas, which is very interesting because that could go either way. Um, so Elliott had no dog to lose. But you're affecting not just the win, but you're you're affecting where somebody advances into the next round. And I, I think that's bullshit. And um, Elliott's actions and, and what he stated afterwards... Um, 
you know, he, he had confronted, he was the one poking his finger at Kevin Harvick. Harvick still had his helmet on. And I know a lot of fans have been blah, blah, blah. If he was a real man, he would have taken his helmet off. Listen, Harvick left his helmet on. He didn't go down and try to fight him. Because I'll tell you right now, if Kevin Harvick wanted to fight somebody, he would. I mean, we've seen his blow-ups in the past. You know, whether it's Greg Biffle um, at Bristol in 2003. Or Ricky Rudd, who quite frankly, is one of the toughest people to ever um, race a stock car, ever. And and probably a guy you don't want to fight. <laughs> um, he, you know, he's he's gotten in with these guys. Juan Pablo Montoya, you know, he is not afraid to throw down if need be. Um, but, you know, he was going through. I mean, besides, if you're stupid enough to punch somebody with a helmet, um, you know, if you, if you feel the yap um, you know, punch him. I mean, hey, Michael Waltrip once punched Lake Speed after an accident at Michigan with, uh, with his helmet still on. And, um, I just, this is just one of those things. And I think that, you know, Harvick, Harvick has every right to be upset. And, and I know people are like, well, he should be suspended, this and that. Suspended for what? Because you cut down a tire at your favorite drivers. <sighs> It just, and like I said, the whole way social media and the NASCAR um, internet community, the INC, has just been all over this. Um, you know, Chase Elliott can do no wrong. Um, I felt, I didn't feel he did anything wrong other than just hard racing, a little bit of tempers, until you decide the outcome of a race. Um, and I'll tell you right now, uh, the only reason why he's getting a free pass, especially by fans, is because he was the protege of Dale Jr. Um, and his father um, is Bill Elliott, you know, NASCAR's most popular driver for many, many years. Although, to be completely honest, I don't know how rigged those um, most popular driver awards were. Uh, just saying. Just saying. Um, but uh, I think that, um, you know, Elliot's, oh gosh darn, you know, country boy, you know, you know, well-to-do demeanor, you know, it, it really deserves a second look. I mean, there, there has been past incidents, uh, with Elliot. Elliot, um, saying the same thing about Joey Logano and running Logano up into the wall at Bristol two years ago, uh, which gave, um, Pride Keselowski the win. Um, when that happened, uh, you know, after what, after watching it again, originally I had no dog in the fight because I, I'm not a Logano fan. I'm not an Elliott fan. Um, I just felt it was hard racing. And it, and it gave Keselowski the win. I'm not 100% a Keselowski fan, but I, I've been a fan of the Roger Penske 2 car since, uh, since Roger came back to NASCAR in 1991 with Rusty Wallace. Um, so I, I really had no dog in that fight, and I chose to stay quiet. But... Um, there, there's been other incidents. Um, Chase Elliott uh, deliberately dumping uh, Ty Dillon in 2013, if memory serves me right. Um, 
while battling for the win on the last lap at um, Canadian Tire uh, Motorsports Park in the Truck Series. Um, that one, I don't care, um, you know, who you root for. I mean, that was a deliberate dump. Um, the only people who have actually said that that was unintentional have been True Blue Elliott fans. Um, you know, impartial fans have even said that that was straight up intentional and a dirty dump. Uh, so, really, Elliot can't claim that he's a clean driver when he's done, you know, shenanigans in the past. And we all know Kevin Harvick has had his fair share of run-ins and done some shady shit. I mean, he got banned from a cup race once for an incident that happened in a truck race uh, that weekend involving another driver. Uh, so, with that, it's just kind of insane with to think about. Um, but, like I said, they move on to Las Vegas. We, I doubt we'll see any kind of payback there. Uh, we certainly won't see it at Talladega. Um, unless you have an incident where, like, Harvick's pushing and decides to change lanes and leave Elliott hung out to dry, falling back to 28th or something. Um, the Roval, though, I will keep my eye on because... Um, lately road courses have been a lot like short tracks, a lot of beating and banging, people getting punted, tempers flaring, uh, and this is a lot more over the, the past few years than it had been. Um, so if there was going to be anything, and I do mean any kind of payback, be any kind of escalation of the feud, it would be between those two. So, um, that's going to be very interesting to watch. I know Chase is sitting pretty up in the top eight and Harvick's having to work his way up, but you you never know. Um, Harvick has run well in the past, and let's put it this way. Um, that team is finally starting, that four team is finally starting to show signs of life uh, when it comes to this season. And um, I think that... Uh, they're picking the right time to come to life. I mean, we've seen this um, before. Um, you know, Harvick did win nine races last year before kind of fizzling out late in the playoffs um, and getting eliminated. And, um, you know, he has this boss by the name of Tony Stewart. He used to be lackluster in the regular season and then just pick it up in the playoffs, and that is how he won the 2013 title, you know, while pretty much being a, a non-factor for most of the regular season, you know, so it's definitely not out of the realm of reason. Um, so if I'm Chase Elliott in a unbiased point of view, or a biased point of view, I would really watch out for that four car. And to be honest, I'd watch out for, you know, just a lot of the Ford teams because with Kevin Harvick in there, you have the Penske cars, you know, Ford is going to put all their chips on their remaining teams, their remaining four teams, um, because I certainly know the blue brand would like to bring home a, uh, a, uh, championship back to Michigan and, uh. You know, they, they lost out on what should have been won last year. And um, I'm sure um, 
Edsel Ford IV uh, would not mind that nice piece of, um, that nice p trophy up there in Dearborn, Michigan, going to the museum. So, anyway, uh, so enough talking about Bristol. A couple little quick hits. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the show Lost Speedways, if you have Peacock, check it out. Um, I've finally completed uh, the first two seasons. Um, been watching them here and there. Uh, they are very entertaining, and, and it's very bittersweet to see a, the final episode uh, of season two with... Um, Myrtle Beach Speedway, a, a speedway that is not quite a lost speedway, but it is in the process now. Um, it's very, very, uh, very touching because this is a track where Dale Jr. cut his teeth and Dale Jr. goes back to that same track and um, to, to see it one more time before it is torn down. Uh, so we have that. Um, we had, uh, there had been other racing going on. We had uh, IndyCar which I glossed over um, the uh, the last two IndyCar races. Um, Portland, which was won by Alex Pillow. And uh, more recently, we had Laguna Seca, um, which um, Mazda Speedway at Laguna Seca. I always still refer to it. We'll always refer to it as Laguna Seca. Um, they... That one was dominated by uh, Colton Herta um, of Andretti Autosport Racing. And uh, big news coming out of Andretti Autosport Racing is that Ryan Hunter Ray, longtime driver for the team, former champion and Indy 500 winner, will not be returning to um, Andretti Autosport um, for the 2022 season. Um, so that means that the 26 um, DHL car will be up in the air uh, with a new driver um, as Andretti Autosport continues to retool their program. Um, no word on whether James Hinchcliffe, uh, one of their other drivers whose contract is up at the end of the 2021 season, will return as well um, as his return to uh, Andretti Autosport, where he was very strong earlier in his career. Um, the popular Canadian uh, just hasn't lit the world on fire since moving to, um, moving to, uh, moving away from the team and returning. Um, so, anyway, um, with that all said, we like I said, we got that. We got um, IndyCar, which will be hosting its season finale. And for the first time in a long time, we'll actually be uh, hosting a championship battle on the streets of Long Beach. A longtime staple of the IndyCar series. Um, the Long Beach Grand Prix. Um, and then we have Las Vegas, which will host all three of the... NASCAR's top series. Um, before I forget, um, we got into talking about uh, Bristol and the whole Chase Elliott issue. Um, we do have the fact that we had four drivers get eliminated. Um, the four of them that were eliminated were Eric Amarola, uh, who at one point looked like he was going to lock himself in, Tyler Reddick, uh, the only representative of... Um, 
Richard Childress racing to make the playoffs. Kurt Busch um, in his final season for Chip Ganassi Racing and the final season for Chip Ganassi Racing in general. And Michael McDowell, uh, who won the season opening Daytona 500, uh, marking um, only the second time that Front Row Motorsports has made the chase for the playoffs. Uh, the four of them will just be competing for wins at this point, as they are non-factors in the title picture. Uh, so, we have all that. Um, one last thing, we have our pop quiz nose to answer, and that is which NASCAR crew chief uh, holds the record for the most championships as a crew chief, and that is Hall of Famer Dale Inman. Inman, who was a crew chief for seven of Richard Petty's titles, and also was the crew chief for Terry Labonte's 1984 title reign, um, while driving for Billy Hagen. Uh, if you remember right, 1984 was the year that Richard Petty was driving for um, country music mogul and former lieutenant governor of the state of California, uh, Mike Kerb, a uh, long-time uh, racing um, philanthropist, entrepreneur, um, friend of motorsports. Uh, that was when he was racing there, and would um, he would win the um, the Firecracker 400 for that 200th win. But Dale Inman wasn't on the box for that race. Dale Inman was leading the Terry Labonte number 44 Piedmont Airlines uh, Oldsmobile there. So um, there's your piece of NASCAR trivia, your pop Quiznos for the week. Um, for those of you who don't subscribe to Patreon, I am currently retooling my Patreon show. Uh, it's going to be called On the Road with the Race Nerd. And we're going to tackle many, many topics on the show. Um, not just racing. Uh, we're going to have sports, um, movies, pop culture. Um, just a whole smorgasbord of things, you know. And right now... Um, I'm um, taking ideas. If you want to email them to me, it's racenerd, all one word, underscore, ckcc, at outlook.com. Or you can just um, hit me up on the book of faces um, you know, and just, just throw ideas out there. So um, I'm going to be putting together the first official episode of the show um, pretty soon. I was... Going to do, I had two ideas, I ended up scrapping them both, but they, um, we'll be, uh, getting to a new episode soon, and I think it's going to be fun, uh, so keep your eyes out for that, and I will be back next week, hopefully, and with a all new episode based on Las Vegas, and hopefully a lot shorter episode than this one, has been at 43 minutes. So until then, I'm Matt Hardman, and I will see you at the track. Bye.